0: Good morning, everybody. Thank you for uh, your presence this morning. Just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, Lord help us, but uh, Mr. Johnny Becker is going to be graduating from high school. Oh, boy. Wasn't he just a little
1: shrimp that too long ago? <laughs> Still
0: is. So, you know i got to give you a hard time. Should I keep going or just kind of finish it now? <laughs> anyway, you are all uh, invited to the graduation ceremony, which is going to be Sunday, uh, May 23rd, uh, from 4 to 10 p.m. out at the uh, Becker Farm. Uh, what I'll do is I'll put this invitation as well as this uh, picture up on the bulletin board back there uh, with all the details. So, congratulations, Johnny, and uh, congratulations to all of our graduates this year. And uh, real quick, uh, Deacons' meeting will be uh, following class on Wednesday this week. So. Uh, This is an expository-type teaching where we go through the different books of the Bible verse by verse, and we are currently in the study of Romans. Uh, Each Sunday, we pass out our Grace and Actions, which contain a summary of the prior week's teachings, as well as class notes for you to follow along this morning. And before we begin our Bible study this morning, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ... We need to be sure we're in fellowship with the Father. We do this by taking a moment of silence, allowing time for each one of us to privately confess any known sins of the Father. As stated in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for this day that we may assemble together as fellow members of the body of Christ and study your almighty word. We give thanks for every individual you've led to your service here this morning, those among us in the chapel, those listening on the internet, and for anyone who may hear this message at a later date. Thank you for our current study of Romans. We pray this service draws us closer to you and that you open our hearts and minds that we may hear what the Spirit has to say to us this morning. May we take what we have learned and apply it to our daily lives challenge us to extract our spiritual nourishment and to grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior. We ask that you continue to bring us wisdom and give us strength and perseverance in our trials. Help each one of us to learn in the liberty of your grace, freeing us from legalism, works and fears attacking us daily, always keeping you in thought and prayer, bringing glory to you. Thank you for providing us with every spiritual blessing. We thank you for the precious gift of your Son, providing us forgiveness of our sins and our so great salvation. We also give thanks for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, serving as our mentor and teacher, and bringing your word alive for us. Thank you, Father, for the blessings and answered prayers of this ministry. Thank you for the provisions of this building and wish to meet on a consistent basis. We also give thanks for the individuals you've raised up in their positive volition to this doctrinal ministry, giving of their time, talent, and treasure. Continue to open doors of opportunity for this ministry to proclaim the gospel message to the world. Thank you, Father, for our pastor and his faithfulness and dedication to teaching your word. Supply him his spiritual and temporal needs Grant him encouragement through your word, offer him protection from the attacks of the enemy, and give grace to him that your message is spoken with accuracy and clarity, delivering your full counsel. We thank you for the blessings and privileges we have in the United States. We pray for our leaders, our president, vice president, and cabinet members. Give them wisdom, moral courage, and conviction in leading this nation according to your will. Thank you for the men and women in military service. Give them each courage, strength, and knowledge to fight the battle abroad, keeping our nation safe, knowing you are in full control. Thank you for those providing local services such as law enforcement, firefighters, EMTs, and others who commit to our safety and security here at home. We pray for those who may be experiencing trials and tribulations at this time, whether it is health, financial, or anything that may be troubling, lead them to your word for comfort and to continue forward in faith. We also pray for our high school graduating students that they continue to come to you and your son in faith and prayer for guidance and direction as they take their next steps in life. Father, allow each one of us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction, Let us be thoughtful and considerate and do nothing to disturb or distract those who are serious students of the word of God. Father, we thank you for who and what you are. May honor and glory be yours. We offer you these prayers upon the merits of Christ, aware of being in union with him and seated at your right hand. In his glorious name we pray. Amen. Would you please rise? All
1: right, this is a new uh, congregational song we're going to try. I've sang it here before, but see how it goes.
2: You are my Father All of my days I'll be preening your praise Because you have redeemed me By giving your Son my freedom's been won And you will be loving me throughout all eternity And I will be loving you For who you are and what you do When I am afraid, I know you'll protect me For the prayer I have made, I know you have heard When I am alone, I know you are with me Oh, faithful and true, I rest in your word You are my Father All of my days I'll be praising your ways Because you truly love me When you gave up your Son Whose work is all done And you will be loving me Throughout all eternity And I will be loving you For who you are and what you do When I am afraid, I know you'll protect me For the prayer I have made, I know you have heard When I am alone, I know you are with me All faithful and true, I rest in your word you are my father All of my days I'll be singing your praise Because you have redeemed me By giving your son my freedom's been won And you will be loving me Throughout all eternity And I will be loving you For who you are and what you do you are my father. Oh yes you are. You're my father. Oh you are. You're my father. Thank you Lord for loving me. I love you with all of my heart. That's how that
1: one goes. You see it.
2: Hold on, hold on for a second. (laughs) I'm sitting on.
1: No, I I switched, I just put the numbers different. That's alright, that's alright. Get a laugh. Start it again. Repeat it at the very beginning.
2: In my home, doubts and fears. Through every pain, every tear, there's a God who's been faithful to me. When my strength was all gone, when my heart I had no song Still in love he's proved faithful to me And every word he's promised is true What I thought was impossible. I've seen my God do He's been faithful Faithful to me I'm looking back His love and mercy I see Low in my heart I have questioned Even failed To believe Yet he's been faithful Faithful to me When my heart Looked away Though many times I could not pray Still my God He was faithful To me The days I spent So selfishly Reaching out For what pleased me Even then God was faithful to me And every time I come back to Him I see Him waiting with His open arms And I know one sign I see, I see.
1: All right, uh, good morning to all of you. Could you turn your Bibles to the book of Romans? Turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Just a little, a smidge. All right, thank you. Thank you, Eric, back there. He's uh, sitting in for Titus. Titus and Jody won't be here next week, so Eric's going to be doing Dr. Spark back there. You know, Mr. Spark. Thank you. Morgan for doing the slides and uh, uh, Trent for doing a great uh, opening prayer and doing the announcements. And uh, we have a great class here this morning. We're going to talk about kind of the thing thing we're going to uh, talk about uh, this morning. We're going to study Romans 15.8. And the thing we're going to talk about in this passage is actually connected to what we learned uh, in the book of Genesis. Remember, God had made plans or promises to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember, Jacob got his name changed to Israel later on, and from him, they came. he had 12 boys by four different women, and they became the nation of Israel. And, of course, from the nation of Israel, the Messiah came, Jesus Christ. And we've also seen, and also in this particular study, in particular Romans chapter 11, we saw that our, we owe much to the Jews because the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had uh, also included promises to bring salvation to the entire world. So God looks at the world as between Jew and Gentile. Uh, The first Jew was Abraham... He's the father of the nation of uh, Israel. He's the progenitor of the nation of Israel. He's the first Jew. And God wanted to, through Abraham, begin a nation. And from that nation, he would actually, uh, uh, from that nation, that nation would proclaim Jesus Christ to the world, the salvation to the world. And we see that the promises that Abraham received, he said, remember we studied in uh, Genesis 12, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God wanted to reverse the curse with his son, Jesus Christ, and he would be a Jew. And as we're going to see in our study of Romans 15, verses 8 and 9, we're going to study verse 8 this morning, that the Jews had promises given to them. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became a man, died and rose again to fulfill those promises to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In particular, the promise that in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Salvation will come to the Gentiles through your, your race, your, the race that I'm beginning with you, Abraham. So we have our salvation, is, we can thank our salvation because of the promises that God made to Israel. As we'll see in this study of Romans 15, verses 8 and 9, By keeping the promises to the patriarchs, fulfilling the messianic promises, fulfilling these other promises that were given to David and to to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, the new covenant, and the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, by fulfilling those promises, Jesus Christ would be demonstrating God the Father's faithfulness. Thus the song about the faithfulness of God at the beginning there. And, And so the faithfulness of God was manifested when he sent his son into the world because his son came to fulfill the promises to the patriarchs. And one of those promises was, "In you, Abraham, all the families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Salvation is of the Jews, as Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4. And we see that we thank God for the promises he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because those promises included salvation coming to us through a Jewish Messiah. So by sending his son into the world to become a man and dying and rising from the dead, he was being, he was demonstrating the faithfulness of God to the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was fulfilling the promises to the patriarchs. And by doing so, by doing that, he brought salvation to the Gentiles. Why? Because some of the, one of the promises was salvation would come through the Jews, so we can thank uh, Paul tried to teach this to the, uh, the to the Gentile believers in Rome. In Romans eleven, we saw that in detail. So we should be—that's why anti-Semitism is absolutely ludicrous and it totally ignores the Scriptures. Also, what we we are going to derive from this study this morning is that God is faithful. If God was faithful to the promises he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob centuries ago by sending his son into the world and crucifying his son and raising his son from the dead and seating him at his right hand and also giving us the offer of salvation, if God could be faithful to Israel, he will certainly be faithful to the church. He will certainly be faithful to us who are in his family through faith alone. And Christ alone. So this morning, as I said before, we're going to begin a study of Romans 15, verses 8 and 9, which teaches that Christ is serving the circumcision, which is, as we'll see, a title for the Jews, because of the Father's faithfulness in order to fulfill the promises to the patriarchs of Israel so that the Gentiles glorify the Father because of his grace. So as we'll see, By Jesus fulfilling the promises to the patriarchs of Israel, he was actually paving the way for the Gentiles to bring glory to the Father. He killed two birds with one stone. Look at Romans 15, 7, please. Romans 15, 7. Therefore, Paul says, accept one another. Welcome each other into fellowship with each other. Welcome into fellowship each other. Just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. So when he says, therefore, accept one another, that command, he's talking to both the weak and the strong in Rome. Who are they? Remember in our study of Romans 14, the weak and the strong are both Christians. They're grouped two different groups. One is primarily Jewish, that is the the weaker believers, and the other is primarily Gentile, the strong. Now the weak, they, they thought that you had to obey the law. They had not uh, disengaged themselves from the law. They weren't fully convinced through the Lord's teaching and the Apostles' teaching that they could eat all foods and that they, every day was alike. The strong were convinced by the Holy Spirit that they could eat all foods, that they were not under the law, that they were married to Jesus Christ, that they died to the law as he taught Roman, Paul taught in Romans 7, 1 through 6. And Paul said to the, the strong in Romans 14, Don't use your freedom... ...to eat all foods in the presence of the weaker brother in Christ... ...because they'll see you and they'll try to imitate you... ...and live by your convictions and they can't do that... ...because if they eat unclean meat... ...their conviction is they have sinned... ...and of course that's not true... ...but in their mind it's true... ...so they have to operate and love the strong... ...toward the weak... ...so now he's, he's saying also in the chapter in Romans 14... ...that we're not, they were not to condemn each other... ...for their convictions... ...for certain convictions that are not essential... That are not essential to Christianity, so we see that paul 's summing up everything he said in Romans fourteen and also the first six verses of romans fifteen he 's summing up everything with this command: I want you to accept one another. I want you to have fellowship with each other. The application for us we should never we should never not have fellowship with somebody because they think you have to uh, study through the King James or that uh, some people say that you could use any English translation, and we should not uh, uh, T- uh, take ourselves, or, or reject those who think you have to use just the King James, or somebody thinks you have to observe the ritual of water baptism—not to get saved, but just as another ritual like the Lord's Supper. And there are some Christians that think that you need to have water baptism as a, as a, uh, uh, as a. Public demonstration that you're a Christian, and Paul never even baptized, highly baptized anybody. It says in First Corinthians, and he criticized the uh, the Corinthians for making an issue about a, about that. So should we divide over water baptism? And some women are taught in First Corinthians 11 in certain denominations that you have to wear a hat. Should we? Should a woman who thinks you have to wear a hat? Uh, ...reject other women in Christianity because they don't wear a hat... ...or vice versa, should the, the women who don't wear hats... ...should they reje- reject the person who thinks that they have to wear a hat to church? These are the things that divide Christians today... ...and that ought not to be the case... ...because a hat, water, d- in King James Bible... ...or any translation, doesn't draw us any closer to God... ...it doesn't affect our fellowship and our, our, uh, our relationship... ...eternal relationship with God... It, we're saved and accepted by God on the merits of, uh, object of our faith, Jesus Christ. Because of him, we're in the family of God, both the weak and the strong. Both the King James crowd, the water baptism crowd, or the, uh, the person who wants to wear a hat. We're all accepted in the family of God, not because of externals, but because of who Christ is and what he did for us at the cross, the object of our faith. So why do Christians divide with one another? See, if we, we remember what we, t- we learned in this chapter 14, and at the first six verses of uh, Romans 15, this is teaching us how to maintain unity and not to divide over petty, stupid issues. So he summed it all up, for what he said in Romans 14, and also the four, first six verses of Romans 15. He's summing it up in verse 7 of Romans 15 with his command. Therefore, accept one another. Have fellowship with each other, he's saying. Don't divide over non-essentials. Then he says, here's the reason. Just as, oh, as we saw, it means because the word just as. It because Christ has accepted us. So if Christ has accepted both the weak and the strong, why should we reject each other? If He's accepted every Christian through faith in Himself, why are we? Why in the world are we rejecting each other? Then He goes on to say, "We're to do this to the glory of God." We saw the command accept one another is connected to that last phrase. To the glory of God. In order to accept one another, we have to operate in love. we got to be forgiving of one another as God and Christ has forgiven us. Tolerant of each other as God and Christ has been tolerant of us and is and will be. So, therefore, he says, accept one another and we can use to the glory of God is connected to that. Now, when he says, therefore, accept one another, just as, or as we saw, because Christ also accepted us, that statement, Christ also accepted us, Paul gives us the reason why, in verse 8, why Christ accepted all of us. Look at verse 8. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, that's the Jews, on behalf of the truth of God. Why? To confirm the promises given to the fathers. Now, verse 9, the first statement is connected to that. They go together. And for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. Then to back up what he taught, that God has accepted both Jew and Gentile through faith alone and Christ alone, he quotes, a, he quotes a passage here in verse 9. Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. So verses 8 and 9, in those verses, Paul is attempting to maintain an argument, people, which he introduced in Romans one sixteen, and he elaborates on throughout the entire epistle. Hold your place. Look at Romans 1.16. We have a lot of passages to cover Look at Romans 1.16. One, one of the big things that Paul had to deal with was, and I brought this up in our study of uh, in, in the book of Romans, is that the Jews had a prejudice, a racial prejudice, because of the Gentiles. And... All along, God wanted the Jews to present the gospel to the Gentiles. And here they were alienated from the Gentiles and alienating themselves from the rest of society. And Paul comes along, and Jesus taught this too, that God, and this was taught by the Old Testament prophets. And he told Abraham was told this. The Gentiles had been promised salvation through the Jewish Messiah. So Paul comes along preaching the gospel that both Jew and Gentile through faith alone and Christ alone, God will accept both groups. This was revolutionary in Jewish society. It's one of the reasons why Paul taught. Uh, Paul was persecuted by his own people. The one of the Outside of Jesus Christ, the greatest Jewish patriot nationalist there was, was Paul. Yet he was persecuted, like the rest of the prophets of Israel. They were persecuted because they spoke the truth. And they spoke the truth that God has included Gentiles along with Jews... Salvation is not just promised to the Jews. It's promised to the entire world. So Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Now look what he says. To everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The Greek's talking about Gentiles and Gentile society in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Roman Empire was based upon Greek philosophy and Greek, the Greek language, Koine Greek. Now, notice he says it goes to the Jew first. Does that mean the Jew is worse is, uh, is better than the Gentile? No. The reason why, remember, Jesus said in, in Acts, and he said it to them. Jesus said this in, his, in the Gospels. I go to, I'm sent to the house of Israel. The apostles were told to go to the house of Israel, the nation of Israel. And then, when Israel rejected Jesus. They were to go to the Gentiles, and they did. So we see that, that uh, he's talking about, sal- when he says to the Jew first, that's because salvation is based upon the promises that God made to the Jews. In you, Abraham, the first Jew, all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So that's why he's saying to the Jew first. They have to go to the Jew first because the promises of salvation to the Jews and to the Gentiles comes through the Jews, the promises that God made to the Jews. So he said to to the Jew first and also to to the Greek. Now, from that point on, as we study, all the way to Romans 15, 13, he develops that particular point. Remember, we studied in the first, uh, uh, from that particular verse all the way through chapter 2 and the the first half of chapter 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not just the Gentiles, but the Jew also. Both groups are in need of the righteousness of God. Then he says in Romans three twenty, all the way to the end of Romans five twelve. He said five uh, eleven. He says that this is how both Jew and Gentile get saved, not by keeping the works of the law, not because you've, been, you've received the law and been given the law as a Jew or that you've been circumcised, but through faith alone in Christ alone. There's no distinction. He says all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And if anybody wants to get saved, whether you're Jew or Gentile. It's through faith in Christ. This was revolutionary among the Jews, what was being told. And the, Jew, and the Gentiles rejoiced. It was predicted in the Old Testament that the Gentiles would praise God, that they would receive salvation, that they would be promised salvation. Then they'd get the offer of salvation and they could receive salvation through the Jewish Messiah. This was nothing new, Paul was saying. Then we see that he goes on in Romans 9, 10, 11. He tells the, the Gentile believers... That don't get don't get arrogant toward the Jews because it's because of them that you have your so great salvation, and the Jewish the Messiah is a Jew. Your Savior is a Jew, so he was teaching them in those chapters to have a proper what's the proper attitude toward the Jew, whether he's unsaved or saved. So this is a theme that Paul's developed throughout the epistle, and in chapter fifteen, uh, all the way from verses uh, eight all the way. Through verse 12, he talks about the Gentiles, us, praising God. We're a Gentile. We're not Jewish racially. We are in the pages of Scripture. We've been predicted that we would praise God. This morning we were... I don't know how good the congregational... You've heard in this congregational song before. But when we sing here, when we sing to Jesus Christ, and then we worship Him through song, that was predicted in the Old Testament. And Paul re- quotes these Old Testament Scriptures from the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. ...that this would be the case. So we are actually... ...we are actually our salvation. The fact that we're saved is a fulfillment of prophecy, people. Now, the argument expressed in Romans 1.16... ...and developed throughout the rest of the epistle... ...is that the Gentiles are included in the plan of salvation... ...along with the Jews. But that the Jews have the salvation historical priority. What does that mean? Well, salvation comes to the Gentiles... ...through the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ... And we we get that salvation because Jesus, the Messiah, fulfilled the promises to Israel's patriarchs. Therefore, in Romans 15, verse 8, and the first statement in verse 9, Paul maintains the integrity of this argument by using parallel statements to describe in what way the Jews and the Gentiles benefited from Christ fulfilling the Father's plan of salvation. Now, in relation to the Jews, Christ became a human being and he died and rose again because the Father is faithful to his promises to Israel's patriarchs. Thus, the first purpose for his coming is to fulfill these covenant promises to the patriarchs. Hold your place. Look at Genesis chapter 12. Hold your place. Look at Genesis chapter 12. Look at verse 1. Genesis 12.1 Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, this is before he got his name changed to Abraham, go forth from your country. He was an Ur of the Chaldeans in southern Iraq. The cradle of civilization is Iraq. It's kind of interesting that we're over there because it's going to end over there too. Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. He's not telling where he's going. He just said, go west, young man. And I will make you a great nation, the nation of Israel. And I will bless you and make your name great. And it is. The, the Arabs revere him. The Christian reveres Abraham. And the Jew does. So I'll bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. Or actually it's a command that means be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The nations of the earth have been blessed because of Abraham the father of the Jews, because from Abraham comes the Jewish Messiah. When you read the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, you see that there's a big genealogy and people get bored with that. Well, you read that, those genealogies are to demonstrate that God has kept his promises to the Jews, that he's kept his promises to the Jews and that he's sovereign. Look at Genesis 22. Look at verse 18. Genesis 22, 18. Genesis 22:18 it says in your seed now this is after he was going to sacrifice Isaac according to God's command he wasn't going to kill God wasn't going to let him kill him now why did God do that he was testing this is, we saw he's testing Abraham's love obedience and faith would he put Isaac his beloved son ahead of his relationship and obedience to God and he didn't He said, if that's what God wants, I believe God can raise him from the dead. Obedience to God is more important than my kid that I love so much. That's what he taught him, people. But look at after he did this. He rewarded him for this. Look at verse 18. Now he's getting in more detail. He develops the promises to Abraham. In your seed, that word seed means descendant, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Go to Galatians now. Go to the New Testament. It's after Romans, first second Corinthians. They'll run into Galatians. Look at look at Galatians 3:16. Look at actually look at verse 13. Galatians 3:13. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Because we couldn't keep the law perfectly, which God demands, we were under, under a curse. Having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now listen what he says. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant. Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises, the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a couple we just read, and we studied in detail in Genesis. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds, plural, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. So, Christ's coming was a fulfillment of the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So in relation to the Jews, people, this point on the board, Christ became a human being and died and rose again because God the Father is faithful to his promises to Israel's patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thus, the first purpose for Christ's coming in this passage is to fulfill these covenant promises to the patriarchs. In relation to the Gentiles, Christ became a human being and died and rose again that the Gentiles would glorify the Father because of His grace. Therefore, in Romans fifteen, verse eight, and the first statement in verse nine, Paul is implicitly. How does it relate to his readers? He's making this point in Romans fifteen. Go back to Romans fifteen eight. You're probably saying, "Now, how's the connection, built? I'll show it to you. Look at Romans fifteen eight. Hopefully, you held your place. Romans 15, 8. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision. Well, actually, look at verse 7. He says, accept one another. Why? Because, because Christ also accepted us. Accept one another because it will bring glory to God. Now, in verse 8, he's going to tell us why Christ accepted us. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises that the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. So what Paul's doing there in those statements... He's implicitly reminding the weak, remember I mentioned them at the beginning, who are primarily Jewish, that God has accepted into his family the strong who are primarily Gentile. He's also reminding the strong who are primarily Gentile that their salvation rests upon the covenant promises that God made to the patriarchs, the Jews. Thus Paul is echoing his teaching in Romans 11. So what he's doing here in verses 8 and 9, he's saying, I want you to stay together. I want you to accept one another. Christ accepted you, and you know what? Christ became a man, died and rose again, so that he could fulfill the promises to the patriarchs, Israel. He was faithful, because of the faithfulness of God in confirming the promises to the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And while doing that, by fulfilling those promises Which included the promise of salvation of the Gentiles To Abraham's descendant His seed, Jesus Christ Salvation would come to the Gentiles So he's saying to the weak and the strong The weak are primarily Jewish The strong are primarily Gentile Accept one another You can't be arrogant toward each other The Gentile believers Your salvation is based upon the promises That God made to Israel And the, the Jew Can't be upset with the Gentile believer, because God promised salvation to those people. And Paul uses Old Testament Scripture in verses 10, 11, and 12 to demonstrate that God had a plan from eternity past that both Jew and Gentile would worship Him and His Son, Jesus Christ. Haven't we studied that in the Day of the Lord series with the millennial reign of Christ? Jew and Gentile are going to be praising God. This is why we're here. This is why we would become... we were existing This is the only reason, only purpose for why we're here. It's to worship God, to serve God, and to bring glory to God. Any other reason why you think you're here for it, you're messed up. Because God says, this is what we're to do. Serve him, do his will, worship him, give glory to him. That's what we were created for. And that's when we find true happiness and joy. That's when we find true happiness and joy. And because of the things he's teaching us here in Romans 15 the weak and the strong in Rome ought to accept one another, knowing that neither one can get arrogant toward the other because the Gentile was dependent upon the promises to Israel and the Jew can't get arrogant toward the Gentile Christian because God had promised them salvation and he made the promises to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, look at Romans 15.8. He says, "For Now that word for there is causal. And it introduces two statements, which we've been reading, that appear in Romans fifteen eight and the first statement in verse 9. And this word is introducing a statement, two statements, that present two reasons why Christ welcomed into fellowship with himself both the weak and the strong. Christ welcomed the weak, who were primarily Jewish, into fellowship with himself because of the Father's faithfulness in order to fulfill the covenant promises to the patriarchs. They weren't saved on their own merits. And neither was the Gentile. They were saved on the merits of Christ. God was faithful to them. That's why they were... Israel, listen to me. Israel, throughout her history, has been unfaithful to God. On three different occasions, they've been deported from their land. Just till recently, in 1948, they were brought back in. They're still unfaithful to him. Yet God has remained faithful to Israel. We're reading that in the study of the millennial reign. Israel deserves to be wiped off the face of the earth like every other nation does because all has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yet God has not destroyed the nation of Israel because he made promises to them. He's love, unconditional love. He is faithful and if he's that way to Israel, he will be that way to us. So for those of you who think you could lose your salvation, God made a promise. You trusted my son as savior. You're saved and you're saved forever. I'm not going to take back that. I keep my promises. You're not saved because you merit it. You're saved because of the merits of my son. So God has been faithful to the Jews when he sent his son to the cross. He's been faithful to the Jews. So Christ also welcomed the strong, who were primarily Gentile, into fellowship with himself in order that they would glorify the Father because of his mercy. Now Paul says, for I say, that uh, phrase there is one word in the Greek, it's the word lego. And we could actually translate it, I affirm. He's actually, what I say is kind of weak. I affirm is stronger because what Paul's saying here, he's expressing a conviction. You know, when, you, when, when Paul taught, when the Lord Jesus Christ taught, when the prophets of Israel taught, they taught with conviction. This wasn't something that they thought was right or they thought was true. They knew it was true. Because they could see it in the scriptures and the Holy Spirit was telling them. And Paul is expressing a conviction here when he says in Romans 15, 8, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, the Jews, on behalf of the truth of God, to confirm the promises given to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and for the Gentiles, to glorify God for his mercy. That was a conviction he had. That he backs up with scripture. Look at it else he says in, in verse 9. Therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. And don't miss this, keep going. He says then in verse uh, the, the uh, uh, verse 10, and again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse. The root is Jesus Christ. He's a descendant of King David, and King David's father was Jesse. And he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles have hope. So would Paul's backing up his conviction in verses 8 and 9 with scripture, that's why he could speak and write with conviction. That's why any man who speaks the word of God with conviction, which you should, otherwise you get another line of work. You speak it with conviction because you see what it says in the scriptures. You have this conviction, you know it's true. So Paul is, when he says, I say in verse 8, he's actually saying, I affirm. Affirm, what's that mean? It means the state positively. Usually in anticipation of denial or objection. and implies conviction based upon evidence. The Judaizers, who try to convert people to Judaism, they, they, would, oh, they would attack Paul for his teaching that he's, he's teaching here. In Romans, Romans 1, 16, all the way to Romans 15.13, he was persecuted for what he taught among the Jews. They thought he was being a traitor to the Jews. Now, Paul in Romans, f- verse, uh, Romans 15, verses 8 through 12, Paul is affirming there, we just read, his conviction that he has defended throughout the epistle that God's eternal purpose was to bless the Gentiles with eternal salvation, along with the Jews, who trusted in his Son, Jesus Christ, his Savior, and fulfillment of the promises made to the patriarchs in the Abrahamic covenant. and Genesis, what we read earlier this morning... That's called the Abrahamic covenant, the agreement that God made with Abraham, which was unconditional, meaning it wasn't dependent upon Abraham's faithfulness. The promises to be fulfilled were not dependent upon Abraham's obedience or faithfulness or Israel's, but they were based upon the faithfulness of God. You failed, but I will be faithful. You've been unfaithful, but I will be faithful. God is faithful to us. When we're unfaithful and don't think for one that everybody in this room has been unfaithful to God at some point or another. At some point or another, because we're still sinners, say by the grace of God, we've been wandering astray from God, doing our own thing, yet God has remained faithful. How do we know that? You're still alive. And when you die, you're going to be in the presence of Christ and that's a demonstration to you. And when you get a resurrection body, it is a demonstration to you and the whole world that God is faithful. God is faithful because He's truth and also because He's love. And His love for His people is unconditional. Not only for His people Israel, but also for the church. Further indicating that this word lego, translated I say in your Bibles, means affirm here, is that Paul could have proved his point without using the verb here. And also the word is in the emphatic position in the sentence. At the very beginning of the sentence, this word lego is there. It's telling the reader that Paul's making an emphasis here. Now he says, has become, this is an interesting word. Look at the verse. Look at verse 8. For I say that Christ has become, has become is the word, yinoma, And it denotes that the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God, possesses the characteristic of being a servant to the Jews, which he acquired at his incarnation when he became a human being permanently in Bethlehem. Now, This uh, intensive perfect, the form of the verb, is important because the intensive perfect emphasizes the present state of servanthood to the Jews that the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, entered into by becoming a human being permanently 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. Then it says, a servant. for It says, for I say, or I affirm, that Christ has become, or we could say, is a servant to the circumcision, the Jews. Servant there is the word theakonos and it's used of the Lord Jesus Christ here, and it describes him as a servant, which he manifested by fulfilling the Messianic promises and the promises made by God to the patriarchs of Israel and by redeeming Israel from the curse of the law, as we read earlier. Hold your place. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Hold your place. Go to Philippians chapter 2. It was at, it's at the Galatians where you were just at. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Philippians 2, 1. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, in the Greek it's a first-class condition, it means there is, it's an affirmative yes to each one of those. Look at verse 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Be united in your thinking. Just what Paul said at the beginning of Romans 15, remember? Mani- maintain the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. What is humility? He tells us. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Be a servant to your brother and sister in Christ. Now he gives Christ as the example. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, essence of God, did not regard being equal with God, an ex- thing to be grasped, an exploitable asset, but he'd emptied himself, not out of his deity. It says he made himself of no reputation. He made himself nothing, even though he was the son of God. How did he do that? Look at it says. By taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Go back to Romans 15.8. So there you see the servanthood of Jesus. He came to serve the Jews. Romans 15.8. Paul says, for I say that Christ, we can say, is a servant. And then he says to the circumcision. The, The phrase, the circumcision, is the word peritome, uh, peritome. And this word peritome, it's used here as a title, as a designation for those members of the human race who were descendants racially of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thus, this term, circumcision, denotes nationality, distinguishing the Jew from the Gentile. It's used in other places in the Bible as well. Romans three thirty four nine four twelve, Ephesians 2.11-12, through I take you there, but uh, that is, uh, circumcision is used there for the, uh, as a title for the Jews there, and that passage in Ephesians talk about God is uniting the Jews and Gentile believers into one new man and, the, and to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, he says, on behalf of the truth of God, Paul says, for I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God. That phrase, on behalf of the truth of God, is another prepositional phrase. We have the preposition which is translated correctly on behalf of and then we have the word aletheia, the truth and the word with it is it's adjunct, is the noun theos, God now the noun aletheia, truth, refers to God's faithfulness here to the promises contained in the four unconditional covenants to Israel and that's indicated by the next phrase that follows to confirm the promises to the fathers so faithfulness, people, is one of the attributes of God as related to his moral beings. So, you and I, the fact that we're still living here, even though we've just sinned not too long ago, maybe, well, yeah, I can guarantee we all sin. You're still alive because God's faithful. He said, You're going to say, it, you're saved, you have eternal life, and the minute we screw up, He doesn't cut us. He doesn't, he doesn't let us go. He's faithful in His marriage arrangement with us, He's faithful to the promises He made to us. You believe in my son, I'm faithful to that I promise you have eternal life. you live with me forever. So, because, so people who th- say you could lose your salvation are attacking God's can- character and integrity, attacking his love, attacking the work of Christ on the cross, attacking the faithfulness of God. We're going to be sitting with Christ, worshiping him and the Father, on into eternity future, billions and trillions and billions of years into the future, eternity future, and we'll be there, sitting there because of the faithfulness of God. No, Not because of our own merits, but because of the faithfulness of God. So that's something we can hang our hat on. No matter what goes on in this country, no matter if they start start persecuting Christians, as they do in most of the world and have done throughout history, no matter if they take away our property, our possessions, they take away our guns, they take away everything from us, God is still faithful to us. God is faithful to us. Don't you worry about a thing, flock of God. Don't you worry about where your kid's going to get in his future. God is faithful. Don't worry about whether you're going to... What are you going to do when you're an old person? Like Sharon. What are you going to do? Do what Sharon does as an old person. Or as Barbara McKinney, she's an old person too. I'm going to enter that. God is faithful. God is faithful. He won't forget you as an old geezer. He'll still take care of you. David said in the Psalms that... He's never seen the righteous go without God has never abandoned them god 's faithfulness means he will never abandon us now the preposition who pair when it says on e on, pair uh, when it says on behalf of the uh, the circumcision, if you look at verse eight, for I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God on behalf is that word e it functions as a marker of cause or reason indicating that Christ is serving the circumcision, the Jews, because of the faithfulness that originates in the character and nature of God. Now the word theos, God, refers to the Father because Christ fulfilled the Father's plan to provide salvation for both Jew and Gentile alike and fulfill the promises to the patriarchs of Israel so that the Gentiles would glorify the Father. And then we come to the very last phrase. If you look at verse 8, he says, For Christ... I say that, or I affirm that Christ is or has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the faithfulness of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. That last statement there, to confirm the promises given to the fathers, is another prepositional phrase. We have the preposition is, and then with it we have the articular form of the infinitive viveo. Viveo is a cool word. It means to fulfill. And it's used in relation to the promises that God made to the patriarchs of Israel. ...and functions as an infinitive of purpose... ...and that indicates that the purpose... ...the purpose for which the Lord Jesus Christ serves Israel... ...was to fulfill the Father's promises... ...He gave to the patriarchs. The promises given to the fathers... is the, uh, ...we have the noun epangelia... ...and then that's translated promises... ...and then with it we have the word patera... ...which means the fathers. It's in the plurals referring to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The noun epangelia... ...gospel, good news refers to the promises gained, uh, contained in the four unconditional promises, the unconditional covenants that God established with the nation of Israel, which would include messianic promises. And the word patera, the fathers, refers to the patriarchs, or in other words, the progenitors of the nation of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob, remember, had his name changed to Israel. So to summarize, in Romans fifteen eight, Paul's teaching us here that Christ became a servant to the Jew... Because of God's faithfulness to fulfill the Father's promises to the patriarchs of Israel. What was the application for his readers? That statement was directed against the weak. The weak were primarily Jewish. Therefore, they are not to ha- they, they. should be humble and toward the, the Gentiles because they're saved, the Jewish believers are saved, because God was faithful to the promises to the patriarchs. And Christ came to fulfill those promises to the patriarchs to demonstrate the faithfulness of God. And by doing so, as we'll see on Tuesday, salvation came to us, the Gentiles. I want to show you, you don't have to hold your place, I want to show you one more passage. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 1, 18. You're in Romans. After Romans, 1 Corinthians, then 2 Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1.18 This is a great passage. 2 Corinthians 1.18 But as God is faithful, He keeps His promises. Hey, think about this. Next time you're worried, here's how I, try, I apply that. Next time you're worried, you've got a difficult situation, something's in, happening in your life and it's causing you anxiety, I read 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, Cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. I read Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray. God's made those promises. If you apply those promises, you'll find out that God is faithful to you. See, the people who have anxiety in their life and they're worried to death about everything are actually calling into question God's faithfulness to them. God's going to take care of you. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 18. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, and the Corinthians were primarily Gentiles, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but yes in Christ. The promises of God are fulfilled in Christ, he's saying. For as many as are the promises of God... This is a promised book. It's filled with them. For as many as are the promises of God in Him, Christ, they are yes. Therefore also through Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now He who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God. Anointed us with the Spirit. That means you have the indwelling of the Spirit in you. That's what anointed means. You have the power of the Spirit in you. Who has sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts is a pledge, a down payment. Is the word pledge, a down payment that you're going to get a resurrection body? You're going to live with God forever. The fact that you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you is a guarantee that you're going to live with God forever. Look at verse 23. But I call God as witness to my soul that to, you, to spare you I did not come again to Corinth. Not that we loaded over you your faith, but uh, loaded over your faith. But our work is with you for your joy, for in your faith you were standing firm. So Paul's talking to us there about God's faithfulness. So as we look at this last statement, Romans 15, 8, Paul's teaching us that Christ became a servant to the Jew because of God's faithfulness. To fulfill the Father's promises to the patriarchs of Israel. And as a result of that, as we'll see Tuesday, salvation has come to us, the Gentiles. God is faithful. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit would challenge us with the things that we've heard. Help us understand these things and put them into practice to apply them, not just within these four walls, but to take these things out into our daily lives, this understanding that you're faithful. You've been faithful to the patriarchs of Israel. You will be faithful to your people, the church, the body of Christ, the future bride of Christ. Help your people, the flock here today, to understand that and to gain a greater love and appreciation for this so great salvation, that salvation is of the Jews and because we have a Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, and faith in him, we're going to live with you forever. And we thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to the promises to the patriarchs. And also thank you for including us in those promises. And we know that you love us and you care about us and you demonstrated that by sending your son into the world to die for our sins. And we thank you, Father, so much for all the wonderful blessings as a result of our so great salvation. And Father, we pray for these things in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now could our ashes come forward for the Sunday morning offering, please?
0: Now is the time for us to uh, uh, provide for the needs of this ministry and to give back for the Lord. Uh, We should give with a cheerful heart, and it should be a decision between you and the Lord as directed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, God loves a cheerful giver, and it is better to give than to receive. Uh, So let's bow our heads in prayer for this offering. Father, we pray this offering that will be given out of love and appreciation for you and your Son, Jesus Christ, and all that you have done for us. Father, we thank you for those who take part in giving as well as those who continue to offer their time and talent to meet the needs of this ministry. Thank you for the blessings and answered prayers of this church, along with us to meet our daily needs and to continue to provide the gospel message to the world. Thank you, Father, for those in our service this morning and for our extended congregation for their faithfulness and dedication to this ministry from around the world. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
2: I hear you're worried about the world today And all your problems that don't seem to go away You say you're worried and heavy laden But don't worry about a thing Cause God is faithful, always faithful God is faithful, always faithful, and he loves you, and he cares for you. The world's not home, it is the devil's place. Protect your soul with the word of grace. And when the battle is raging around you, Don't forget this one sure thing That God is faithful Always faithful God is faithful Always faithful Because he loves you And he cares for you So don't let this world That we live in Ever get you down Lord's returning soon And our feet won't touch the ground We'll soon be going home So lift up your hearts And know That God is faithful Always faithful God is faithful Always faithful And He loves you you now stand your ground and don't fear anything he's on the throne and he knows everything there is no other cause he is the son of God so no worry about a thing cause God is faithful God is faithful, always faithful, and he loves you, and he cares for you, oh yes, he loves you.